Welcome to the Real Life Theology Podcast hosted by Renew.org. We're just really glad that you've decided to join us again today. Maybe it's your first time or your 10th or 100th time. We're just glad you're here and checking out our content. We hope that it richly blesses you and helps you in your life and day-to-day ministry. In this episode, Reese Neeland discusses learning to motivate like Jesus. In this episode, Reese describes how through his own church planting journey, he has discovered how to help motivate people toward Jesus. He gives practical tools and stories to give insight on how to have a Jesus-centric focus in your church. My name is Reese Nealon. This class is entitled The Art, Learning the Art of Motivation from Jesus. And uh, it was supposed to be a class, but after I heard David and Shadonke, and Anthony, I might go to a little bit of preaching today, but you'll forgive me if I have to do that, right? But uh, so the question that that I want to ask you is, uh, have you ever felt insecure about your ability to motivate others, particularly making disciples? I think I know I have felt that. And I think sometimes we get the wrong impression, and that is enabled. There are people that are gifted motivators. There's no doubt about that. And we think that I, in order to be motivating, I have to be a dynamic speaker. I have to be a powerful presence. I have to be exceptionally eloquent. But the good news is that you do not have to be any of those things to be a effective and motivating disciple maker. And that is good news, isn't it? Of course, if you have those abilities, then just just ride that horse, okay? Enjoy it while you can, right? But one of the reasons I believe this is, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with this, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is reflecting on his time in Corinth. And do you remember what he says? He says, "When I remember when I came to you, I came with weakness, in fear, in trembling. He said, I did not come with wise and persuasive words. I was not uh, eloquent. I did not have superior wisdom. And, you know, it's hard to think about the Apostle Paul right, right that way, right? But I don't I think he was telling the truth. And I think he is an example for us, perhaps. And I don't know if you know, but later on in Corinthians, they actually accused him of being a boring speaker. Have you ever heard a boring speaker? I've been going to church a long time. I've heard a lot of boring sermons. And that's just the ones that I preached. But anyway, uh, it can happen. But there's good news here, right? So the main point here today, and I really hope you'll leave, is no matter who you are, man or woman, old or young, whatever your special gifts may be, just as a disciple of Jesus, you can learn to motivate like Jesus did. So we're going to look at the Jesus way today. So uh, if you have a Bible, turn over to Mark chapter 1. Or you can listen along with me as I read. So uh, perhaps you know there are four different accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. I bet a lot of you could name those. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's interesting. I love the fact that we have four accounts. There are a lot of similarities, but there are also a lot of differences in each one of the accounts. And Mark was the first one written. You may know that. And Mark is also the shortest. And so Mark gives a lot of uh, summary statements. And uh, my theory is that Mark must have been married because like many husbands, he leaves out a lot of details. And uh, so I don't know if that happens and maybe you haven't experienced that yet, but I frequently make two or three attempts to give details and my wife still thinks it's not sufficient. But Mark here in chapter one summarizes the call of Jesus to be a disciple maker. And I believe that in this short text, there are five very practical principles that we can and must apply if we're going to be able to motivate like Jesus. Are you with me? Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. It goes on. When he had gone a little further, or farther, as we say, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, repairing their nets. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So as already mentioned, this is just a summary statement. You might know that Jesus had actually met all these guys. You can read about that back in John chapter 1, probably nine months to a year earlier. And he'd been preparing them for this moment. And a lot of people believe that in Luke chapter 5, I'm looking at my phone because I don't have a watch and I just need to know what time it is. I'm not looking for text and uh, I'm hoping none of you are going to text me. Jose knows me. He might text me. Don't do that, Jose. Um, But a lot of people believe that in Luke chapter 5, the whole story about the boat and Jesus going on the boat and Peter, get away from me, Lord. That was a a parallel account. So Mark leaves out a lot of details, but sometimes there's a special power in a summary statement. And so I'm going to make five practical points for you here. The first thing, and it is without a doubt, the most important thing is that Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus made it about himself. And if we're going to motivate like Jesus did, we don't make it about us. We make it about Jesus. Do you follow me there? Because Jesus is way more inspiring and motivating than any of us could ever be. And I don't think you're going to disagree with that, are you? It's really the most important thing. Make it, make your discipleship and you're making, make it about Jesus. And you say, well, that may be too simple. Perhaps it's simple yet profound. 
It's very easy along the way to get distracted. And sometimes we make it about, we do make it about us. And sometimes we make it about the leaders. And sometimes we make it about the church. If you want to inspire people, what we want to do, and we have a great opportunity to do it, is help Jesus to get into the heart of those that we're trying to help. Does that make sense to you? And don't really overlook this. You know, I didn't mention it earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 when I was quoting, Paul was remembering his ministry there in Corinth and what it was like when he first got there. But the part I left out, do you remember it? He said, I was fearful, I was trembling, didn't come with eloquence, superior wisdom. He says, for I resolved to know nothing when I was among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In 1989, my wife and I and a group of 50 moved to Los Angeles, California to plant a church. And I related so much to fear and trembling and weakness and all of that. And so uh, it was my opportunity to preach the first sermon of the church planning in LA. And I chose this text and the title of the sermon that I chose that day. I still have my notes from that. I don't save all my notes for my sermons, but I saved that one. Seemed like it was important. The first one, the title was nothing but Jesus. Because I had a whole team full of people that were intimidated. I don't know if you've ever been to Los Angeles, but it's an intimidating place. But you know what God did? Because we had that focus on Jesus, that church grew to today it's well over 5,000. We've planted many other churches all around the U.S. and all around the world. But it's not too simple to say The first and most important thing to do is point people to Jesus. I was very fortunate when I first started following Jesus way back in college that our campus minister was a man that his name was Sam Lang. Probably very few of maybe none of you know or some of you know who he was. But I was so blessed because Sam was my campus minister. He also became my my mentor and training me in the ministry and training me how to make disciples. But Sam Lang knew more about Jesus and loved Jesus more. It's a little emotional than any person I ever met. And he would stand up and he would teach and he would have a conversation with you. And it was all about Jesus. And he was always talking about insights he had into who Jesus was and what he loved about Jesus and what he cared about Jesus. And it was all about Jesus. Remember what Paul said way in the Philippians, way when he's into his, his, his the prison epistles and it's near the end of his life. He says, I want to know Christ. Well, what have you been doing for the last 30 years, Paul? But see, the people that are effective, motivated, they just want to know Jesus more and they want to love him more and they want to share him more. And that, my friends, is how you change the world. That's how you motivate people. Because of Sam Lang, I developed this laser focus early on in my life and my ministry. 
just on Jesus. I know there's a lot more in the Bible, but nobody inspires like Jesus does. Nobody can move my heart like Jesus does. What is Jesus himself? He said when John 12, verse 33, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You know, the reason the crucifixion, his death on the cross, as significant as it is, the reason it means something is because we have the opportunity. We should live in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, read the rest of the Bible too, but we have the opportunity to get to know and love the man who eventually died for us on a cross. Have you ever met somebody that just had a special love and understanding of Jesus? Have you ever had a Sam Lang in your life? Are you going to be a Sam Lang? And you have to invest. You have to work at that. I'm still working at that. I started my journey following Jesus 45 years ago. But I feel like there's so much more to learn, and there's so much more that I do learn. And I I just, I love to read books about Jesus. If you have some good books about Jesus you want to recommend, tell me about it. I love to see movies about Jesus, especially good. My favorite right now, and maybe of all time, is The Chosen. If you haven't seen The Chosen yet, it's three years that they're already into it. It is Jesus the way I always pictured him. And it's moving. And it's powerful. My favorite book about Jesus is, uh, I have a whole list of books that I've read and I'm still searching for. My favorite book is by Philip Yancey, The Jesus I Never Knew. How many of you know that book? Few of you do. We just have to be, we have to invest. And then with those that we would help and those that we would want to follow Jesus and make disciples, we need to teach them what we understand about Jesus. And we need to talk about what we understand about Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is it's not about you. And it's not about me. We're simply trying to be the best reflection of the light that we can be. And sometimes we're better at that than others. You know what I mean? So I'm spending a little extra time here because it's way more important than anything else. I believe, just like my experience with Sam Lang was such, I believe that people can tell how much you know Jesus, really love Jesus, and how well you know him. I don't think if you know him and you love him, and you're growing in that, you basically cannot help but be inspiring. But it's not as easy as we might think. But you have to invest and you have to really work at it. How many of you have ever uh, heard of this TED Talk? It's pretty well known. It was done several years ago by a man named Simon Sinek. And the title of it is, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. And uh, if you want to go look it up, You can do that. It was given in 2014. It's less than 18 minutes long. And you know how many views there are? If you go to TED Talk, you go to their website, 
61.8 million views. If you go to YouTube and look at that version of it, over 10 million. Some of you have seen this. It's not about Jesus. It's just about life and business and what motivates people. And here's the conclusion that he comes to, and he defends it very powerfully. He says, people are motivated not by what you do, but why you do it. It's not what, but why. And sometimes we want to be all focused on what, and we want to explain the the program that we have and the pathway to discipleship and all that. And, you know, there's a, there's a what, but what motivates people is why. One of the illustrations he uses is Martin Luther King. You know, why did 250,000 people show up on the Capitol steps without much planning or preparation? They came because Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream, not I have a plan. People are motivated by why. And here's the best news for us, because I know it's challenging to be a disciple maker. I'm getting a little emotional here, but here's the best news for us. With Jesus, we have the greatest why the world will ever know. He is our why. You know, Anthony had us a few minutes ago remember our baptisms. I'm going to give you something else to do. Go home and write a letter, personal letter to Jesus. Say, Jesus, here's why I still love you, and here's why I'm still following you. Because the more real it is, the more impact you're going to have. Make it all about Jesus. Now, the last four things we're going to hit very briefly. I'm going to be like Mark. I'm just going to make summary statements. By the way, I've, you may or may not be surprised. I've spent many hours studying this topic and uh, studying about Jesus and what he has to say about maybe what we can learn about motivating. So I don't have time for that today, but I can share a little bit with you, right? So the last four are important. They're not as important as the first one I gave you. Make it about Jesus. But the, uh, the last four are here in the text, and it, it all started for me in, in 2017. My wife went back to school to become an internationally certified health and wellness coach. And so there was training and studying that she had to do as a part of that. And uh, one of the things that they is an important part of being a coach, and that's really in a lot of ways what you're doing when you're making disciples. And you probably know the coaching business is multi-billion dollar business in America. A lot of people, life coaching, business coaching, health and wellness coaching. But one of the things is they train on how to motivate And there's actually a science behind it. Did you know that there are four intrinsic or eternal desires 
that God made us that we all have that will motivate us. And let me just say now, if you didn't understand already, the best motivation is the motivation that comes from inside you and works its way out, not the other way around. Right? We've all had those people in our lives that were motivating us from the outside. Sometimes they were good and sometimes they were not. The best kind of motivation comes from the inside, right? It's not dependent on the presence of another person. So my wife studied this and she shared with me these four primary internal desires. And I immediately said, this is exactly what Jesus did. Shouldn't be surprised by that, right? It's just science. It's just Jesus. By the way, my wife would want me to make a disclaimer at this point. She is a health and wellness coach. I am not one of her clients. She would want me to tell you that. I I do benefit much. I, I should do better. I tell people often, if I only ate the food that was in my refrigerator, I would be the healthiest man in America. Unfortunately, I don't always eat out of my own refrigerator, but it's another story for another time. So as you look at this statement, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. The first desire, what's number two in our lesson, but the first of the four practical things is we all have a desire to connect with others. People don't need, sometimes these desires are latent. Sometimes they're even been felt and rejected because of bad experiences, but God put that in us. We don't, we want to connect with others. So Jesus understood that. So when he called people to be followers, what did he do? He immediately made them a part of a small group. Peter. Andrew, James, John, that group. And when you look at Jesus' ministry as recorded in Matthew, Mark, how much time did he invest building relationships with these guys? And it wasn't just all spiritual, right? We know they had fun together. They feasted together. They traveled together. They, you know, they did a lot of things together. But it's that investment And so call people into a relationship, into a small group where they can find family and when they can find friends, where they can experience a safe place. I read the Gospels. I go, you know, that that, that, this small group that Jesus had, it was a really safe place because Peter said a lot of really bad, dumb stuff, and he would have been kicked out, right? but he never was. And Jesus himself set that example. I'm moved. I preached on it just the other day when I read the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and all of eternity is coming, crashing in on him. And he's known about this since the beginning of time. And now it's here. It's the night before his crucifixion. And because he's fully human as well, he's so much like what you and I would feel, right? And he brings those guys together and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow 
to the point of death. Luke said that he sweat blood. See, Jesus didn't have any sins to confess, did he? But if he had, you know, and so when you're building this group that's going to really has a chance to motivate people to do special things, the group's got to be close, but it's got to be a safe place, but it's got to be a place of transparency and vulnerability. Everybody, whether they know it or not, wants to be a part of a group like that. The next thing I would mention to you here, everybody has the desire to grow and excel. We all want to be good at something, right? Just even if it's just one thing, it could be your job. It could be, uh, you know, your, your, your sport of choice or whatever it is. But Jesus tapped into that because he told these guys, he said, come follow me. And what did he say? I will make you fishers of men. He says, I'm going to ask you to become something that you're not, but I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And I'm going to teach you. And I'm going to support you. And I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm not going to give you a, 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 I'm not going to send you an email telling you, you know, your, your, your directions for the next day and what I want you to do. You're going to be with me and I am going to make, and I'm sure they did no idea when he said that, what that meant. And we watched the, through the gospels and we go, you know, I don't, this doesn't seem to me like Jesus, you're doing a very good job, but he did, right? When it was time to go, they did turn the world upside down. But he showed them. He didn't expect them to know what they didn't know. And that's what we got to do. We got to be shoulder to shoulder, walking with people. Show them the way. Help them to be successful. Help them to achieve. And if you don't feel like you know how to do it, then you go get the help that you need so that you can help make a disciple, right? Because that's motivating. The other thing here that I would mention, this one might be surprising, is we all have the desire to make our own choices. Say, well, why is that important? You know, when Jesus called people, he always gave them a choice like he did. He says, come follow me. And you know what? They could choose to follow him or they could choose not to. Jesus didn't chase after people who didn't want to follow him. Do you know that? He respected people's choices because he knew at the end of the day, they were only going to be motivated by choices that they made. And so he was patient and he waited and he hoped and he prayed, but he let people make their own choices. How many of you really, really like it when somebody tries to pressure you to do something you don't really want to do? Nobody likes that. But Jesus was so different than us. He was so, let's just call it relaxed about his disciple making. 
you know, if I, if I were Jesus and I was coming to build this army and, you know, change the world, I knew I had a limited amount of time when, when John 6, you know, and he preached that sermon and told everybody they're going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And then he didn't even explain what that meant. And then a bunch of people started leaving and the disciples are starting. The other guys, are, they got, they were like panicky, like, what are you, what are you doing? And you know what Jesus, what was Jesus' response? You want to leave too? Oh, they didn't want to leave. No, they didn't leave. But Jesus always gave people a choice. I mean, in a practical way, one of the things that I'm doing, one of the things I do is I help people make disciples, is that if we talk about something that, whatever it is, reaching out or sharing your faith or whatever it is that we're doing, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the principle. We'll talk about what's true. And then I'll ask them, what do you think that you should do? Or what do you want to do in order to be like Jesus here, in order to reach out? You know, it is surprising to me You know, that uh, there's no evidence that Jesus left any long instructional manuals with the 12 about how to make disciples. That's why, you know, Thomas and the others were a little bit panicked when the time kindly came for him to leave. And they were like, well, if you're going to go, what are we going to do? They felt unprepared, but they were prepared. But, you know, part of it is, you know, you can be too specific in the instruction that you give people about making disciples and helping to make disciples because what might be natural or part of something that would motivate you or that you want to do may not be the way they want to do it. And what we're wanting here is we're wanting people to help people to find their own motivation. So that even when we're not in their presence and we're not around anymore, that's the thing Jesus had to do. He had to prepare these guys. He had three years to do it for when he wasn't physically going to be present anymore. And I would say he did a pretty good job. What do you think? And so respect the fact that people want to make their own choices and give them the freedom to do that and work with them and pray with them and encourage them and love them and be patient with them. But let them decide what they're going to do. I don't know if you figured it out. Shaming, shame and guilt and trying to control other people. That is sometimes a successful short-term plan, but it is a long-term disaster. And some of us have experienced that. Okay, the last of my things here, maybe it's already obvious to you, but he said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. You see what he did there, right? He says, you've been fishing for fish. But I'm going to give you something 
more compelling. I'm going to give you something more important. I'm going to help you to fish for men. And so the last thing that you probably know already is God put in all of us the desire to make a difference. And so what we want to help people understand is how they can make a difference. I mean, what could be more significant than helping somebody else to change their eternal address? What could be more significant than that? It's the greatest gift. It's a gift of salvation that only God can give, but our opportunity to participate in that, we could never do anything more. If you've just helped one person in your lifetime make it to heaven that wouldn't have otherwise made it, your life has already counted. It's counted more than if you just found the the cure for cancer, and we need to find a cure for cancer so we keep some of these people alive longer so then they can become disciples. But you understand what I mean, right? It's in you. It's in all of us, the desire to make a difference. You know, I don't think the guys understood it in the beginning. I'm looking at my watch again. You know, there's a great story in John 4. This was early on, you know, the Samaritan woman, and they come into town, and Jesus is tired and sits down by the well. He sends the guys in to get the food, right? And uh, they come back, and he has this conversation with this woman, and it's very exciting. And the woman goes into town and starts telling everybody, I found the Messiah, and the people in the town are coming out, and about that time, the disciples get back and they brought the, they've got the food. You know, it, it took them a while, right? The line was long and they had to, you know, order to go. And, you know, they brought the food and they finally get there. And Jesus is not hungry. You remember that? And they go, it's, did somebody bring him some food? We didn't know about it. And then what Jesus said, Well, they didn't understand then, but they would understand later. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What's Jesus showing them here? You know, listen, there's more important things than where my next meal's coming from. And when I got a whole town of people coming out to hear the good news, you know, that doesn't seem, you know, a few minutes ago I I was hungry. But now I've got a, My soul is being fed now because now I'm seeing the impact that I can make and the difference that I can make. We all want to make a difference. I remember the first time I felt this. I had played basketball in college and I I grew up in the acapella churches of Christ, but I was... uh, I don't know what you describe me. I was, I was worse than a backslider. Okay, I had no. Uh, I lost all my interest, and I went away to college, and you know, did all that, the basketball thing, and all that. And uh, then I went down to go to graduate school, and that's where I'd started the uh, University of Florida. That's where I started to follow Jesus, and I was just learning about this disciple making thing. Uh, by the way, it's great to see so many women in here. I love that. Thank you for coming. Women need to be disciple makers too. 
And so I should say women get to be disciple makers too, because it's a privilege. But I remember I was just figuring it out. I didn't know anything about, I grew up in the church of Christ, but I'd never cared about people and souls and others. And it's embarrassing. But I remember I, you know, after in church, what we did in those days is that, you know, after the church service was over, we didn't all leave. We stayed around later and we would, we call it fellowshipping with each other. And we would talk and share and it was very spiritual. And I was going around the fellowship and I was asking people questions like, how do you share your faith and what do you do and what have you found effective? And but anyway, there's this visitor that was coming. It wasn't somebody I brought to church. Somebody else had brought him and studying with him. And I started talking to this guy in a, several times in fellowship. And, you know, he was talking about making his decision. And I was sharing a little bit about, you know, you know, my decision I'd made recently to follow him. And and then this is back now, this I'm really dating myself. We used to have an altar call at the end of service. So they'd sing an invitation song. And then anybody who wanted prayers or wanted to be baptized would come forward at the end of the service. So I still remember where I was sitting in the auditorium that day. And that man that I just had a few conversations with after church, never stayed the Bible with him. He stepped out of the aisle and he came forward to get baptized. And I was only 23 years old. I had not cried in years. That's what the world does to you. The world will harden your heart. Sin will harden your heart. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Best thing about one of the best things about becoming a Christian is I started to feel things again. Started to love people, started to care about people. This guy stepped out of the aisle and I just couldn't help myself. I was, I was weeping, I was crying like a baby. Because I thought maybe in some way, these few short conversations had helped this man to make this decision. And I found the joy there that day. Found, I realized something about myself and the way that God had created me that I never had understood before. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's so special. I don't know if they had a baptism party afterwards, and I don't know if they had sharing about all the people that he shared about all the people that made a difference in helping him to come to this decision to be baptized, but I'm quite sure if they did that my name wasn't mentioned. I wasn't one of the people that was studying the Bible with him. I wasn't one of his best friends. I wasn't in a small group. We're made to make a difference. You know, I love the miracles of Jesus. Do you know the favorite miracle of Jesus? My favorite miracle of Jesus is how he took 12, common, ordinary, unschooled men turn the world upside down. Now, the rest of his miracles required a power that you may not possess today. The power to raise the dead, the power to heal the the blind, the power to... To cure leprosy, 
But you know, Jesus did say to his disciples, I don't know if they believed him, but he's getting ready to go. He said, you know, it's okay. You'll do greater things than I did. You know why? Because his time here was so short and it was just the beginning of the journey. We have the same opportunity to make a difference and to change the world that Jesus had. The impact that he had on those men was not based, sure, the miracles helped them to believe in who he was, but that really wasn't about what it was about, was it? Unschooled, common. You ever feel unschooled, common, ordinary? People walk right by you on the street every day and they don't really care who you are. They don't really know you. An unschooled, common, ordinary man can turn the world upside down. And that's what Jesus did. Let's learn to motivate like Jesus did. Where do we start? Making it all about Jesus. Investing. Calling people, giving people the opportunity to connect with others. Make a difference. Make their own choices and to grow and excel. And if we'll tap into that, we'll learn that, we'll focus there, we have the opportunity. We appreciate you joining us again today. Make sure to tune in next week for more great track session material. Just as a reminder, if you don't have your 2024 Renew National Gathering tickets, we just invite you to go on renew.org, check out our National Gathering. Maybe you've been before, maybe you haven't, but we just invite you to check it out. If you want more content like this that you've heard today in person, we do a ton of different breakout sessions. We have great main stage sessions. We have a lot to offer. So we just invite you to go check it out, grab your tickets today. We want to see you there.